How's it going, folks? How's it going? Good morning. This is Christian Coffee Time, and I am Brother Matthew. And here we gather together to study the Word of God, to see what it says, to see how it benefits us, how it strengthens us, how it helps us. Thank you so much for joining in. And please grab your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, which is where we're going to be picking up today. And we're going to be taking a look at what it says, how it's being said, and how we can add it to ourselves to help us to grow in the faith, to grow in the understanding of Scripture. And again, this is the three points of Christian faith, the three points of Bible study, which are interpretation, application, and demonstration. Now, interpretation, application, demonstration, interpretation being the what, the what of the narrative, what it's specifically saying, the narrative of the text, which we see by Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. That's the passage for that one. It shows how there's only one interpretation of the word of God. And then we see by 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, this is the how. How it is given, the specific words and the pictures and the images and the context of the narrative. Now, this is the how, how it's being said, the word studies. Now, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable from Genesis to Revelation. And then we apply it to ourselves to go live it, speak it, think it, do it. That's Acts chapter 17, verse 11, and 1 Peter 3, 15, about a personal demonstration. Now we read it to get an idea of what's being said, then we study it to see how it's being said and how we compare Scripture with Scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth, so we can apply it to ourselves to go live it, speak it, think it, do it. So that's the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study. And if you have any questions on that, go ahead, ask away. And as well, for this study this morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding this study at hand, please go ahead, ask. But if it's not relating to the topic at hand, if you just hold that to the end of the study, just so we can try to limit our rabbit trailing. All right. So we've been doing a great study here. And looking at the life of Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, all the way up to this point, even his uh, starting his debates with the Pharisees and seeing what they're saying and what they're doing and how they have absolutely no respect for him, no respect for Jesus. They, they, they look down at him, they dismiss him, and we see later on they're very derogative of him and, and showing the sheer hatred of their heart by their attitude in this. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit uh, today, um, as well as John chapter 3 is the legendary chapter, well, the first half at least is the legendary chapter about, about salvation. You must be born again in John 3.16. So we're going to be taking a look at those to see how it's being said and what he means by some of these points, clearing up some questions for the evangelists in the crowd. So I hope that uh, you're you're ready for this. Hope you're excited and encouraged about this. So please grab your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter three. And again, we're going to go verse by verse, point by point. And if you see anything you'd like to talk about, just bring it up, and uh, we'll comment on that if we can. And uh, we'll just continue on from there. All right. So John chapter three, starting at verse one. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, 
we have a tendency sometimes to condemn all of the Pharisees that are mentioned in the Bible, where, in fact, if we do a study and a read through the Gospels and then through Acts, we see that a number of the Pharisees and of those of the Jewish elite actually believed upon the Lord and actually were saved. This The, the problem was, though, as it talks about Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night for fear of the Jews, it's also fear of the Pharisees. Many of the Pharisees also believed on him, but secretly for fear of the others. Now, all because someone is not open and blatant about it, which they should be, but again, you know, circumstances, situations, it's easy to condemn people when you're not the one involved. But it's the belief of the heart that saves you. All because someone isn't as open and blatant about it doesn't mean they're not saved. All because some Pharisees, well, they didn't conf- they didn't go around and, and be open and confess it openly towards all other people. Well, it's as long as it's confessing to the Lord. People don't save you. God saves you. Now, we got to be careful about condemning all the Pharisees because a number of them actually got saved, as we see throughout Scripture. And let's take a look at one of them, who is Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of them, these were the religious leaders, the religious rulers. They ruled Israel and keeping people in check with the law and all the the Mosaic law and all the practices and the protocols and the traditions and all the the different things that they were doing. They held a very hard iron fist grip upon Israel, upon all the Jews. And... uh, Nicodemus here is one of them, one of those ruling council. The same Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Now, why by night? Because he was scared of what others might say and others might think. Now, does Jesus berate him for being so timid and cowardly and scared and all that? Did he call him those names? No. You see, it's not about how you come to Jesus just as long as you do. You see, everybody comes in a different way. Some people, uh, they're born in a Christian home, and they're raised in this, and they don't have much of issues in their life in that manner, uh, falling into, you know, demonic sins or whatever. And others, they have a very hard life. And others who are very, have to be very careful because they're raised somewhere else in the world where it's against the law to be a Christian. And so they have to be very careful. But again, We can't judge outwardly, judge outwardly on that way, condemning people because of the outward appearance and the stuff or how they go out behaving that it's as long as the doctrines of the heart are correct, according to scripture, as long as what they're confessing, the gospel that they believe in is the gospel of Holy Scripture. They believe in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, their faith, their belief alone, they're saved for salvation from their sin, they're saved. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. We, we, we know. We know this. Sorry, comment. Does this confession in secret interfere also for today since the Lord has commanded us to preach the gospel? Oh, that's, that's. There's two different things there. Yeah, there's the confession unto salvation, 
And then there's the outward work, which we are called to do to go and preach outwardly and declare outwardly. outwardly. The, the preaching and the teaching is for those who are saved. So in, so in this, we see Nicodemus, he's coming to the Lord secretly and all this sort of fear and confusion. He wants to learn, but he's doing this in secret and he's very timid about this and scared of what others might say. Again, the grace of God is shown to him even in amongst that. But we do see later on, after the ascension, we see a lot of the Pharisees actually becoming more bold and working with the church. All right, so it says here, we know. We know that thou art a teacher come from, come from God. Who's the we? Well, if if you take a look, for example, at John 7, 28, where Jesus says to the Pharisees, you know who I am. You know who I am. And we did a talk about this in John chapter 1, about how John the Baptist uh, proclaiming and declaring Jesus Christ and all the Pharisees, all the Jews, all the people were there. They knew who John was. He was the prophet, and he was the one bringing it in. And I showed you how, and according to the prophecies, how he fits all this. And then John the Baptist uh, declares Jesus Christ and points him out in the crowd. Now, these rulers, these rulers, they are studying the scrolls, studying the prophets. They are very learned about all of these things. They know who the Christ Messiah will, how he'll come and who he'll be from these things. He'll be born of a virgin. He'll be born in Bethlehem. He'll be called the mighty God. He'll be, he'll be persecuted and he'll be put to death for our sins. And his days will be prolonged. He'll be resurrected. And as a child, they, they shall go into Egypt. I'll call my son out of Egypt. Uh, that's all these other uh, prophecies on these things fit Jesus Christ. And let alone, you got John the Baptist now declaring him who they knew John was. It says then when John was born, they went all throughout the hill country declaring that the prophet had come. And then when Jesus was a baby and Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple uh, for uh, for the consecration, uh, that he was met by Anna, Hannah, and Huldah, and, and some of the other prophets uh, that were there. And they met him there. And then they, all, they went all throughout Jerusalem declaring that the Messiah had come. So they know full well who Jesus is. All of the prophets are declaring him. The prophecies are justifying, validating him. John the Baptist has declared him, as all the others have. Jesus says, you know who I am. So when Nicodemus says here, we know, he's meaning everyone. We know who you are. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. Now, some of them, even though in the face of all of the, the facts, in, in the face of all the prophecies and the prophets, on, the, even though all of the evidence points to Jesus and declares him who he is, there are still going to be some who are going to fight against that regardless. Just as we see today, where many people fight against the word of God when the word of God is so blatantly clear and obvious about certain things so some people say well i think i feel i don't like and they still bring that to the table even though the bible directly opposing them it, it's no different from back then even though all of the prophecies and the prophets are declaring jesus christ many of the pharisees are like well i think i feel many of the pharisees are suppressing the truth that's right romans 1 18 to 25 we know that thou art a teacher come from God. 
And many people can know who Jesus is. They know what the Bible says. They know what the faith is all about. They know that they must be saved. And they, they well, I don't want it. I don't think. I don't like. We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And we see that they, they're even on top of you got the prophets, you got John the Baptist, you got all the prophecies, all the texts, all the facts justifying Jesus Christ. Then you got the miracles backing him up. Even Jesus' own miracles that he's been doing so far are proving and validating who he is. There's so much evidence to support Jesus of who he is. Only a fool would resist it. And that's just it. The fool says in his heart there is no God. The fool fights against the word of God. So, uh, uh, supposing themselves to be wise, they become fools, as the Bible says. We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So proof that the power of the divine is with Jesus, with his miracles. The prophecies back up his 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 record, his history, and all these, and the prophets are backing him up. So what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do with Nicodemus here? When Nicodemus it basically states, we we know who you are. I, I know what you are. I just need some help and guidance. Okay, now what do I do with this? I have all of this before me. What do I do with it? All the facts, all the evidences, all the justifications, all the validations are here before me. What do I do with it? What does Jesus say? Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus basically tells him, now believe it. Now believe it. It's all before you. Now believe it. You see it. Do you believe it? You believe in it because you see it and you get it. You understand it. But will you confess it? Will you believe on it? You must be born again. Now, let's talk about that one for a moment. Now, something weird is going on in the world. Amongst all the other weird things. But uh, something weird is going on where the cults and the occult are now using a lot of Christian lingo. Whereas uh, a number of years ago, my dad is actually out uh, doing some street evangelism and he got, got into a discussion with a Jehovah's Witness in the street. And, and while dad is talking to this Jehovah's Witness in the street, Jehovah's Witness pulls out a pad and starts writing things down while dad's talking. My dad asks him, oh, what are you writing? And the guy says, oh, I'm, it's nothing really. I'm just writing down what you're saying, uh, just learning your words, because we go and we gather together and we learn your lingo. So they are deliberately learning to use our lingo to try to deceive people and try to get people to believe in them more. Well, you see, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and Roman Catholicism, and some of the Adventism, and Islam, and Buddhism, and Hinduism, there's no born again. There's no born again doctrine or theology with them, because being born again, their idea of being born again is just 
confession of their practices, confession of their theology, that it's still all outward. They don't understand how born again has virtually nothing to do with the outward. It's not about the outward. Look what Jesus says here. Jesus says, except a man be born again. Now, this is according to scripture, scriptural born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, which is truly, truly. I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit. We're going to get to that in a moment. He cannot enter to the kingdom of God. Now, this is where a lot of baptismal regenerationists will pipe up and say, see, see, it's waters of baptism that save you. Uh, no, read the next verse. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You're born once, you must be born again. You're born of flesh, you're born of physical, you're born of water, you're born of that which is of, of earthly. You must be born of spirit. Born of spirit is second birth, born again. Now, being born again, as also, I've used this, this explanation before, I'll use it again. How you're born once, you're born of Adam. You're born of Adam's transgression. You're born of the sins of Adam. You're born of the first man, Anna, born to physical life. You're born of flesh, born of blood. You're born of water. You're born of this life. You're born of Adam and you're born into sin. You must be born again of spirit. Your spirit is dead in sin. The flesh cannot become sinless. The flesh cannot become sinless. It's appointed to men once to die and after this, the judgment. So you must be, it must be alive. Let's look at the first point here. Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, okay, where's the verse I'm looking for? Okay, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you can't be born into salvation like someone being physically born into a Christian house. There are a number of people who believe that, you, that if as long as the parents are saved, that automatically just saves all the children no and that anybody born into a christian household is automatically born saved nope you can't save the dead there's no baptism for the dead there is no salvation for the dead the dead are dead and they are where they are and you can only be saved in this life you can only be saved in this life you have one chance you only have one chance in this life you there's reincarnation is not true it's going to men once die so we see how once you're born, you must be born of water, born of physical, born of flesh, must be alive, and then make the choice to be born of spirit. You're born of the first man, Adam. You're born into sin. Your spirit is dead in sin and must be quickened, must be made alive. Jesus' other name, another name for Jesus is the second Adam. Now, is that, now we are born of him, born into a new life spiritually. He saves the soul. The soul is saved. You're born of spirit. You're born again of spirit. Your spirit is born into life. You're born into physical life, then you're born into spiritual life. You must be born again. If you're not born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And that has nothing to do with your physical. It's everything to do with your spiritual. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
So you see the hyper cherry picking of verse five for baptismal regeneration is inaccurate. In fact, we see even see the Apostle Paul saying, I do not come preaching baptism. And all throughout the Bible talks about the belief saves you. So if he's not coming preaching baptism, that kind of refutes baptismal regenerationism. That's side the point. Anyways, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. If you're not born into spiritual life, you won't go to heaven. Okay, this is what he's saying. The flesh and the spirit are separate. They're distinctive, dis distinctively different. The flesh doesn't affect the spirit, and the spirit doesn't affect the flesh. You're born of the first, of the flesh, you must be born of spirit. The flesh cannot affect the spirit, because the flesh is corrupted by sin. How can that which is sinful help and bring righteousness and atonement and salvation and redemption upon the spirit? Because all are fallen away, all are become corrupt, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, our sin separates us from God. So how can we, in this totally depraved state of sin and condemnation, affect salvation to our spirits? We can't. So all of the religiosity, the rituals of the Roman Catholics and all of their rosaries and pleading of Mary and doing all the good things and talking to a guy dressed as mother wanting to be called father who wants to forgive their sins and sitting in a wooden box and eating magic Eucharist cookies can somehow forgive their sins and you can atone for your own sins in a made up purgatory or the Mormons or as long as you're good and you keep the commandments, you know, obey Joseph Smith, you can become the God of your own planet. And you have to wear magic linen underwear or you won't become the god of your own planet. Or Jehovah's Witnesses where you earn your salvation by banging on people's doors. And uh, you try to become one of the 144,000 in heaven by trying to be better than others. And it's a Brian Point system. You kick someone else out and take their place and all this. It's all, it's all works. Every single other world religion, Buddhism, I shed my own sin by meditation and striving. I atone myself. Hinduism, I atone and I attain and by baptizing in the Ganges and doing all the rituals. Show me another world belief system where it's not about the outward affecting the inward. Show me another world belief system that's not by works, not by righteous works and not by works of the law. There's only one single belief system in all the world that is all by faith, purely, simply. That's born-again Christianity, where the outward does not affect the inward. Because we don't earn it. We don't earn to gain. We don't maintain to keep. We don't self-atone. We don't have anything to do with it. It's not by works. It's not by righteous works. It's not by works of the law. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, by, by faith in his name, by belief in his name. Our sins are forgiven. The wind bloweth, bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. I see what Jesus says there? Those born of Spirit, you can't see it. You can't affect it. You can't touch it. You can't work for it. It's like the wind. You have nothing to do with it. The Spirit does all the work. Now notice what Jesus is saying here. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. 
You'll notice in verse 8, the word spirit is capital S. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself. Now, even Jehovah's Witnesses say that the, that the Holy Spirit is just an energy force like Star Wars. And that if you believe that it's an actual person, that that's Satanism. Uh, but again, we see all throughout the Bible when it mentions the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, it's that personal pronouns, he, his, him, and, and Jesus, my spirit. Um, that's, this is not some just disembodied, neutral, just energy field force thing. It's an actual person, the person of the spirit of God. Titus chapter three, verse five. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God is the is that which saves us. He comes down, washes us clean, seals us, indwells us. Ephesians 3.17, he indwells the heart of every believer by faith. So we see by this that the Spirit of God saves our spirit, saves us, and nothing of yourselves. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? How could this be? Well, there's another aspect we need to take a look when we're, we're coming to this. Now, if you take your Bible, for example, and you go to the white pages, the white pages between the Testaments, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, from the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, to the beginning of the gospel with John the Baptist coming on the scene was 400 years now, if we go back to Malachi, where Malachi the prophet is talking to the people, he says, says you corrupted the sacrifices, you're corrupting the traditions, you're cor you have not the love of God. And he's going on and, and, and condemning them for what they are doing and corrupting all of the teachings and corrupting the sacrifice. And they say, where have we done this? Where have we done this to God? How have we done this? And they completely dismiss everything Malachi is saying. Well, if we go back even further, go back to the book of Judges, we see in the book of Judges is called the circle of apostasy, where they're on fire for the Lord and they start falling away and they start becoming dismissive and apathetic and they start condoning and tolerating sin and they start allowing horrible things. And then they start aligning with the with the pagans and they start human sacrifice again and all that garbage and horribleness. And then they get oppressed by the enemy and they start calling upon God and they're in, enslaved to the enemy. And God sends them a judge. Who, who delivers them and they all rejoice. They're on fire for the Lord. And again, and again, and again, and again. And we see this happening again in Malachi, where they're falling away from the Lord, becoming apathetic to the things of the Lord and dismissive and, and, and lukewarm. And Malachi's warning them that they are doing this again. They don't heed, they don't listen, and they dismiss Malachi. And because of that, God goes silent to Israel for 400 years. God just stops talking to them. He stops helping them because they don't want what God says. So because of that, 
go for if you take what they're doing in Malachi and now compound that with 400 years how bad do you think the teachings can get from watered down apathetic lackluster unloving traditions of god now how bad do you think those would get in 400 years that's what happened so as Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, one of the Pharisees, yes, he studies the scrolls. Yes, he studies all these things. But in this, as we do do an extra biblical outside the Bible study, we also see that they are also believing in a lot of other garbage, nonsensical things as well, which we see the first disciple, Stephen, actually condemn them for. Now, if you take a look what happens, Jesus on the scene, Jesus says in John 7, 28, you know who I am. You know full well who I am. He says this again in John 8. He says this again in John 14 and 15 and 16. And Jesus accusing them, you know who I am. But you are children of your father, the devil. Okay, John the Baptist tells them that they are a generation of vipers. And they are condemned. Jesus says, you're children of your father, the devil, and you have not the love of God in you. You know who I am, Jesus says. So from that, you see the Pharisees and all of them, they knew that Jesus was God. They knew Jesus was God. They knew the God of Israel had come down. They knew Jesus was the Messiah. They knew by this, but they hated him anyway. They hated him. Now, how could that possibly be? Take what the disciple Stephen said, the first martyr. He accuses them. You've taken up the tabernacle of your God, Moloch, and the star of your God, Ramphan. And they gnashed upon him with their teeth and dragged him out of the city and stoned him to death for saying that. So Stephen accuses them. Of ex, uh, remember the circle of apostasy, how, the falling way, and then you start taking on the, pa the paganistic practices of the heathens? Guess what the Pharisees had done? They had taken up Kabbalistic mysticism and witchcraft and were combining that with Mosaic Judaism, creating a new form of Judaism. They were slowly molding and turning and twisting and, and, and evolving a new form of Judaism, which was Kabbalistic Judaism. Because the star of Ramphan is the six-pointed star that is called the Star of David. And it's two triangles intertwined. Two triangles, one pointing up, one pointing down, which means as above, so below. That's what that means. The star of Ramphan, which is the star of, of uh, Ash, Ash, Astaroth, the star, the star of the goddess Astaroth of Middle Eastern Canaanite witchcraft and paganism. And it says you've taken up the tabernacle of your god Moloch. Now, if you do a study in the Old Testament, you see a number of, of the uh, people had a hidden room by the temple with, with the gods of Baal and Moloch. And they did heathen pagan worship of child sacrifice secretly in, being in hidden rooms. And that, that this is what the Pharisees are starting to do again. So... They, after 400 years, twisted the prophecies, cherry-picked the prophecies, disregarded the prophecies of the Christ Messiah. They no longer loved God. As Jesus says, you have not the love of God in you. 
You have not the love of God in you. You know who I am, but you're children of your father, the devil. You hate God. So with this accusation of Jesus upon them, they knew full well that Jesus is God, Jesus is the Messiah. They wanted to kill him anyways because they wanted to kill the God of Israel because they wanted to believe in other gods. This is why Nicodemus now is immensely confused because he was raised under this hyper cherry pick twisted teaching of Kabbalistic Judaism that twisted the prophecies of the Christ Messiah. So he's under a lot of confusion and frustration here. He's like, but but the, all the law law teachers and the Pharisees are saying this, but now you're Jesus, now you're saying this. What do I do? How can these things be? Because Jesus, what you're saying doesn't fit up with what the Pharisees are saying. Actually, that's the thing. What the Pharisees are saying is wrong, but the scrolls they're using say the right thing. All because a person calls themselves a teacher or a preacher or a leader or, or whatever. They got degrees and diplomas and certificates. That doesn't mean anything. Anybody can get up in a pulpit and start spewing whatever. But you have to take every single thing a person is saying and check it with the word of God. All because they have degrees and diplomas, diplomas and certificates and they have success and big name and fame and all that. That doesn't mean that they're infallible. That doesn't mean they're right. And as Jesus says, many false preachers, false teachers, false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workers, using uh, uh, good words and fair speeches will deceive the hearts of the simple. we got to be very careful with this. Even Satan himself can appear as an angel of light, and his ministers can appear as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Demons masquerading as ministers of righteousness. Nicodemus says, well, how can these things be? Well, search the scriptures. What do the scrolls by themselves ignore the catechisms, ignore the commentaries, ignore all the other books and all these other things, ignore the creeds and the councils and the catechisms and the commentaries, ignore all of that. Ignore what people say. What does the Bible flat out say all by itself? You see, even in the Old Testament, they were not saved by law. They were not saved by law. For if there had been a law that could have brought forth righteousness, therefore, right, therefore righteousness should have been by the law. But it's not. As you see, even the 120,000 Ninevites, by the preaching of Jonah, got saved by turning to the Lord, repenting of their sins and believing. They were saved by grace through faith, by belief alone. Over 120,000 Ninevites by the preaching of Jonah. Nebuchadnezzar, emperor of Babylon, got saved by grace through faith, by belief alone, and wrote Daniel chapter 4. We see even Pharaoh Nebo of Egypt was a believer in Jehovah God. So if people can be saved by grace through faith, by belief alone in the Old Testament, where, it, where if you go back further, you see the law was not made for the righteous, but for the unrighteous, as it says in the scriptures. The law is to help people see that they have sin and they need a savior so that they would come and they would offer up a sacrifice of a, of, of a sacrifice of death and shedding a blood of a lamb for their sins. And then once a year, the high priest to enter the enter in with the with the blood atonement for the sins of everyone who believed. 
There is a blood atonement for everyone, even those, say, the Gentiles that believed that there is a, an atonement made for all. That in the Old Testament, they were saved by belief, by grace through faith, through belief alone in the Old Testament. But the Pharisees had twisted this. And they twisted this because they wanted law more than they wanted grace. With their hyper-legalistic, pharisaical, judgmental, hard-handed control, they just wanted a form of control. They wanted to control people. So they even created more laws. On top of the, the main laws given by given to by God to Moses, they added more and more and more the picket fences upon picket fences upon picket fences of additional laws and protocols that they had to maintain to so that they could control the people. This is a control system, much like the Catholic Church in the Dark Ages. And Jesus comes in and starts breaking this up, saying that's that's all wrong. They're all wrong. It's not about the law. It's not about what enters the man that defiles him, but what comes out. And Jesus starts preaching grace. He starts preaching faith. He starts preaching belief alone. And the Pharisees want to kill him because Jesus is undoing their control system. And Nicodemus had been taught all this because he didn't know any better. Because this is what he thought it was. Because all the Pharisees were in agreement with all of this. And Jesus says, no, it's not about the flesh. It's about the spirit. It's not about the outward. It's about the inward. It's not about what you do. It's about what you believe. Jesus says, art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? How could you be a master and a teacher of Israel and not know this? You read the scrolls and you read the teachings. How could you not know this? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how you should believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And he starts showing him how it's all intertwined. Where if the belief of the heart is right with the Lord, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, out of you will flow the springs of living water, the good deeds and all these things, and the outward will be affected by the inward. The outward doesn't affect the inward. The inward affects the outward. If your heart attitude is right with the Lord, instinctively, naturally, everything else will fall into place. Your discernment and, and the conviction of the Spirit of God will be upon you, and you will naturally want to do those things that are right before the Lord and not want to do those things that are dishonorable. That's what James is talking about. A faith that work without works is dead. He's talking about the manifestation of the inward faith. It's not. It, he's not talking about maintaining and keep your salvation. That's that's ridiculous because it's not by works. He's talking about First Peter three fifteen. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart, because others are going to come and ask you the hope within you. Why are they doing that? Because they see something different. James is talking about manifesting the faith as a means of witnessing, proliferation, declaring the faith. But Jesus and all of those he taught are talking about salvation is by grace, through faith, by belief alone, and that when this is done, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it will be made manifest. It will be made known. It then will affect the outward. It will affect the, the works and all these things. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, if I use earthly examples and you won't believe me how will you believe i start using spiritual examples 
No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then Jesus even uses the example here of, of, of ascension, proving his deity here, and how using the example of Moses, where if you read the story in the Old Testament of the plague of vipers that are brought into the camp, and that Moses was instructed by God to make a bronze serpent, put it on the pole of that which is in the likeness of the plague. And bronze serpent on the pole lifted it up so all eyes could behold it. And whoever looked upon the bronze serpent and believed was healed of the snake bite, healed of the viper bite. Jesus made in the likeness of sinful flesh, though no sin was in him, but in the likeness of, set upon the cross, lifted up, all eyes look upon him and believe upon him are saved. You see the allegories all throughout scripture. This, that was no accident. That was no coincidence. That was done deliberately. God orchestrated that. So you can see all throughout the scriptures as Jesus says in the volume of the book, it is written of me, like Abraham, Isaac, and the ram, the ram caught in the thicket by its horns, his head wrapped about with a thorn bush, thorns wrapped around his head with substitute in the place of Isaac, picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, crowned with thorns all down through. We see it's given by grace, a sacrifice by grace. Isaiah the prophet, chapter 53, uh, he'll be rejected of all, but he'll be put to death for our sins, but his days will be prolonged, he'll be resurrected. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever, what does whosoever mean? Whosoever, that's anyone, right? Anyone. That whosoever anyone believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. What does world mean? Anyone, everyone. For God so loved the world. That's 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he is the propitiation, which means atonement. And he is the atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Debunking limited atonement, that's right. Because if one single verse of the word of God contradicts an idea, uh, an opinion, a teaching, or ideology, then that opinion, doctrine, teaching, ideology, whatever it is that they're teaching is wrong. If one single verse of the Bible contradicts it, then it's wrong. The, but God be true and every man a liar. First John 2, 2, and he is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. How can you preach limited atonement if the Bible flat out says he atoned for all the world? It doesn't say that he is the atonement for the world of the elect. It doesn't say that. Stop adding to the Bible. That's sin. So you see, flat out, the Bible says, whosoever, whosoever, the world, he so loved the world, he atoned for the world. He loved all. There's no such thing as people being predestined to hell. And there's no such thing as being elected before salvation. That's saying then that that person could not go to hell. Uh, that contradicts everything that is biblical, saying that you are incapable of going to hell before salvation. You're not elected of God before salvation. Anyone teaching that is wrong. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. 
soul love of God. What is the soul love of God? The soul love of God is the self-sacrificing love of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where it says, God purchased the church with his own blood. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. And that's what God did. He so loved us with self-sacrificing love. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, he fashioned a body for himself. And he came down and gave himself for us. Self-sacrificing love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he fashioned for himself, the body he fashioned for himself in the Virgin Mary that was born in Bethlehem, called the mighty God, the everlasting father, manifested in the flesh, the only begotten son of God, that whosoever, there it is again, believeth in him. Acts 10, 43, to him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Ephesians 1, 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed to the Holy Spirit of promise. So your sins are forgiven by belief alone. You're sealed by the Spirit of God by belief alone, Ephesians 1, 7, in whom, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins by the riches of his grace. By grace, your sins are forgiven. By grace, you are redeemed out of sin. By grace, not works, not righteous works, not law. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life jesus says all those who believe in me will never die believest thou this for god sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved it he came to save all men he wants all to be saved the bible also says god is not willing that any should perish Here's another one for you. God is not willing that any should perish, is what the Bible flat out says. If there are those who are predestined to hell, God is willing that some should perish. And therefore, we see we have a problem. God is a liar now because he, because he predestined people to hell, but he says he's not willing that any should perish. So we got a bit of a problem. So it's either God's a liar or limited atonement is a lie. God is not willing that any should perish. He wants all men everywhere to repent, is what the Bible says. He wants all. He atoned for all. He calls all. He want, he, that whosoever of the world would believe on him. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's look at here. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Back, sorry, back up 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
six times in just those couple of verses, it, it uses a word that describes all, everyone that there is. What scripture says that God fashioned a body for himself? That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. And you want to you pair that with Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9, 6. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Actually, there's a lot of verses that go with that. So Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. And then you want, yeah, then the prophecies. Uh, you got Isaiah 7, 14. You got uh, Isaiah 9, 6. You got Jeremiah 31, 22. And you want uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And then you want John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14. And then you want Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. And then you want 1 Timothy, uh, yeah, 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16. And Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Those are just some verses right there that talk about God actually fashioned a body. God in the flesh. God actually come down. God did it himself. Those are just some of the verses. There's a lot more. All right. So now a lot of people quote John 3.16. But they don't quote John 3.18. John 3.18. He that believeth on him. On. On. There's a big difference between believing in and believing on. Now, I like to use the uh, example uh, that I have for this. Now, I'm a big fan of the old rustic style furniture, you know, the Amish Mennonite style furniture, uh, the old rustic. Style. I really, I really like that kind of stuff. Let's say you're in the market for wanting to find a new chair for your front porch. Example, let's just say, and you're, you're at the market and you see one you really like. Now you go all around it. You're examining it. You're looking at it. You're looking at all the connections. You know it's strong. You know it's solid. You know it's well built. You know it would hold you up. You know it's good. Is that believing in or believing on? See, you, you, in your mind, you know, but how can you be sure? How can you know beyond shadow of a doubt? What is? How can I know without doubt on this? You sit in the chair. You test it. You believe on it. It's just like Jesus. You know all about him. It, you've gone all, all around, all the teachings, all the person. You know all about him. You even read the instruction manual. You know all about him. But, it, the, but as Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe on. Because a lot of people are going uh, to meet Christ on that day. And many in that day shall cry, Lord, Lord. Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? Have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? But Jesus will say, I never knew you. How can you believe in Jesus and still go to hell? Because believing in is intellectualism. That's enlightenment. I'm enlightened. I know. I see. I get it. I, in my mind, I get it. But you can miss heaven by 18 inches, the distance from the brain to the heart. 
out of a confession out of the belief of the heart, Romans 10, 9 to 10. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the belief of your heart. Not belief of your head. You can believe in Jesus and still go to hell. You believe on him. Look what it says here. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Because many in the day will cry, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works? It's not by works. Have we not done, have we not cast out devils in thy name and prophesied in thy name? It's not by righteous works. It's not by law. It's by the belief of your heart. Nowhere do they say, have we not believed in thy name? He that believeth on him is not condemned. There is going to be multitudes upon multitudes of people who are going to hear the words, name not found written. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Which Jesus is that? Is that the Jesus of Roman Catholicism that needs his mother to help him? His mother is the advocate. His mother is the mediator. His mother is the grand redemptress. His mother helps get you saved. His mother does all the work. An incompetent baby Jesus that needs his mommy? Or how about the Mormon Jesus, who's just the spirit brother of Lucifer? And, and, and you get to heaven by somehow becoming a god of your own planet by wearing magic linen underwear. Or the Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses, who's just this incompetent angel that's less powerful than Lucifer. Think about this. Angels can't atone. Angels can't redeem. Angels don't have the power of life and death. Angels aren't worshipped. Jesus was. Michael the archangel dared not bring a railing accusation against the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael the archangel is not God, and Michael the archangel is less powerful than Lucifer. I don't want to believe in that, Jesus. How about the Jesus of Buddhism? Is this some holy man? Or the Jesus of Islam? Is this some lesser prophet, less important than Muhammad? Or the Jesus of Hinduism, who's just one of the lesser demigods, maybe? Which Jesus? So, okay, why do we see through? If you take a look at what they're talking about, the doctrines there, there's uh, there's a grasping of understanding about acceptance of the understanding. We're in Hebrews chapter six, four to six. It talks about the work of the Holy Spirit upon the mind and brings a taste of the knowledge of the understanding of. Now believe on that. Now believe. In what you believed in, and what you see, what you get, what you understand there. So we see the difference there. He said, I see it, I get it. Okay, now confess that, believe that. Will you accept that as the absolute truth? Will you accept what you're believing? So you see, the word of God actually talks about this about the difference in the belief of the heart and the belief of the mind. And the belief of the mind doesn't save you, the belief of the heart does. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Believed in the right Jesus. To believe in the right Jesus. Jesus says in John 8, 24, If you do not believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. Now, if you take that I am of John 8, 24, and look at the Koine Greek of that, that says ego imi, which means the always existing one. That's... The I am name of God. Jesus calls himself the I am five times in John chapter 8. 
What did God tell Moses out of the burning bush? Go tell the people, I am has sent you. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus actually shows this because Jesus is worshipped. Jesus forgives sins. Multiple times he, he forgave the sins of the crippled man, the woman caught in adultery, and Mary who washed his feet with tears. Jesus was worshipped by uh, his disciples at the beginning when he called them. Then Mary, uh, the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, the Roman centurion, and the rulers. And then after the resurrection, we see Jesus says, all hail. And his disciples grab him by the feet and worship him. He invited worship. Claiming he is God, inviting worship. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, I am God, worship me. Well, actually, that, yes, he does. He says, all hail, and they come and grab him by the feet and worship him. He forgave the sins. He accepted worship. He claimed the names of God. He has power over life and death, John 10, 18. He says, I give unto you eternal life, John 10, 27, 28. Jesus has power over the devil. So you see here that Jesus, the Son of God, of Scripture, the only begotten of God, not believed in this Jesus. If you've not believed in this Jesus, 1 John 5.20, Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. If you don't believe in this Jesus, you will go to hell. You could believe in all the gospel. That Jesus came and uh, died on the cross for our sins, is buried, rose again, and believe all the things there. But if you do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, you're not saved. You can believe in all the gospel and still go to hell because you've not believed in the right Jesus of the right gospel. Many people say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. Jesus is Lord. But Jesus is not God. You're not saved. So many people do that. That's going to be a, a very terrifying, sad day. He that believeth on him is not condemned. On him, this Jesus is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. The Bible says God is light. God is light. And, he, and his life is the light of men. God is light. Jesus says, I am the light. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the I am. This is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. But if God is light and light is coming to the world, the word, which is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. The light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Why, why is Romans 1, 18 and 25 so palpable in this one? If we take a look at it, they love darkness rather than light. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness because the light manifests. The light exposes. The light shows what's going on, and people don't want that. They hate God because of what he stands for. They hate the Bible because of what it's against. They love their sin more than God. They want to hold on to these things. They don't want to lose these things. They don't want to have to turn against these things, to turn away from those things. They want their sin more than Christ. That's why they hate God. That's why they hate the Jesus of the Bible. That's why Richard Dawkins, for example, can stand up at the rally for reason, the atheistic rally for reason. No, oh, there's an oxymoron, rally for reason. And, he, and Richard Dawkins says, go mock the Christians with contempt. He actually said that. You can look it up. He actually says that. Go mock the Christians with contempt. 
he didn't say go mock the Buddhists. He didn't say go mock the Hindus. He didn't say go mock the Scientologists. He didn't say go mock the Muslims or, or the Mormons. He said go mock the Christians. Why does the world absolutely hate Jesus Christ? Why is it that the name of Jesus, the name of God of the Bible, is the only deity name that is used as cuss words in all the world? You don't hear people stub their toe and scream, Oh, Buddha, or Oh, Krishna, or whatever else. Slam their hand in the car and scream, Oh, Muhammad, or something, or whatever. You don't hear that. They only curse the name of Jesus, the name of God of the Bible. Why? Because there's something, there's something there. There's something innate. There's something in the nature of man. There's something, there's a knowledge there. I've written my law upon their hearts. They know this. They suppress the truth and the righteousness. And while they knew God, they glorified him not as God, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools and change the truth of God into a lie. And they worship and serve the creature more than the creator. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth to do truth. But he that doeth truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. But those that are in the truth, doing the truth, working the truth, deliberately come to God so that God could discern, convict, judge, cleanse, help, guide, guard in all things. And everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God. That God is a part of your life in everything that you do. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Meditating on the word of God day and night, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I allow no corrupt communication to proceed out of my mouth. And everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Your, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So we see... There's a big difference how to tell those who actually believe and those who understand are by those who are convicted by the doctrine of the word of God. By what the word of God says, that when the word of God is spoken, it has an effect. It'll either clear the room or it'll fill it up. It'll either comfort the sheep or it'll anger the goats. It'll expose the wolves. The word of God is light. The word of God is life. The word of God is our liberty. The word of God is our everything. Those who hate the word, those who twist it and cherry pick it and change it and add to it and subtract from it. And those who monkey with this love not God. They love themselves. They love their own opinions. They love the gods that they fashion with their own hands. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. What is the light? Cometh to Jesus Christ and his word. If you love me. Keep my commandments. If it be my friends, do what I say. If it be my disciples, come pick up your cross and follow me. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest. A lot of people don't want the Lord to manifest and expose and convict and, and discern their deeds, their works, the things they do of their life. They don't want God to be a part of their entertainment, a part of their home life, social life, private life. They want God to be the God of church and to stay at church and not be a part of their life. Those people love not God. 
They love the idea of God. They love the idea of having a golden ticket to heaven, but they don't want to live for the Lord. They say they love me, but in works dishonor me. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, but do not do as I say? Verse 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. What is he baptizing for? Well, again, he's using the same type of thing that John the Baptist was. The baptism of repentance. Now, what does that mean? As you come to the Lord, you repent. You believe upon the Lord what the Lord has said, and you show that you have repented by baptism. The waters don't forgive you. They do not forgive sins. It's like a wedding ring. A wedding ring does not marry you, but it shows you gave the vows. The vows are that which which marry you. And repentance, the confession of the belief of the heart and the and the penitent heart of the of the individual. Coming to the Lord, asking the Lord to forgive you. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when you do that, you show you have by baptism. And John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. So... John the Baptist is continuing to preach and to proclaim the, the right ways and to make the crooked ways straight. And he's baptizing those who have repented before the Lord. And next to him, just down the road of peace, Jesus and his disciples are doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing. Okay, so we got this going on. Now, whenever there's a work of God going on, Whenever the Lord is working, whenever the disciples of Christ are working, there is always, always going to be the haters. There's going to be the trolls. There's going to be the godless. There's going to be the heathen. The enemy is going to come along and stir someone up or something up some way, some form, somehow to try to ruin the good work. The devil's always going to try to do that. Whenever there's a good thing, the devil's going to bring the wet blanket. For John was not yet cast in prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And this, it, this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. So these people, what they came to do is they want to try to bring in some discrepancy, some issue. They made it like a challenge. When you compare this with the other gospel, you see that the people who are actually stirring this up and say he's baptizing more than you are. It's not a competition. All because one guy, one preacher has a, a big church and another preacher only has a small handful, that doesn't make him any less better or less special or less important or anything. God is no respecter of persons. Neither should we be. 
We don't we don't hold any people over other people. All because some have bigger name and more success and more money or more certificates, more diplomas or a bigger church or more people. That that doesn't mean anything. Praise the Lord that he's reaching more people. Okay, well, that doesn't make me any less than them. Having this elitist attitude that, well, they must be better. There's no such thing as being better in the ministry like this. It is what it is. You see the guy working away and, and laboring away for the Lord all his life, and he only has a couple people, and he has only led a couple people to the Lord. He is just as loved and just as rewarded before God as the guy who has this massive church with thousands of people, and he's led huge revivals, and thousands of people get saved. He'll be just as loved and just as rewarded as the other guy. John the Baptist, he worked no miracles. No miracles whatsoever. But Jesus says he's the greatest of all the prophets. He's greater than Moses. John the Baptist is greater than Moses. He is greater than Elijah, greater than Samuel, greater than all uh, greater than Isaiah. That's what Jesus said. He's the greatest of all the prophets. John the Baptist didn't write books of the Bible. John the Baptist didn't work miracles. How is he the greatest of all the prophets? Because God declared it. Let us not judge people according to our perceptions, according to what we see, what we think. Let's not think it a challenge. Well, they got more subscribers than you. So, who cares? Are they preaching the word of God? Yeah, they're preaching the right gospel? Yeah, good. God bless them. God bless that ministry. Let them reach more. Let them have millions of subscribers then. That's great. Awesome. That doesn't make them better than anyone else. We are all equal before the eyes of God. You want to talk about equality? You talk about Jesus Christ. That in Christ is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female. All are one in Christ. So this competitive nature that some people try to bring into ministries is wrong. That needs to be left out. It's not a competition. Well, uh, we we uh, baptized and, and saved this many people on this weekend. We had this many. That That's disgusting. Don't do that. Praise the Lord that you did. And it's not about comparing numbers, uh, being more successful. Don't, don't mistreat the ministry of Christ by turning it into a competition or a sport. That's just wrong. John says in verse 30, he must increase, I must decrease. It's not about me. People aren't subscribing to a person. You're not followers of a preacher. You are, you are not of that denomination. Denominationalism is not of Christ. Some say I'm of Paul, some say I'm of Cephas, some say I'm of Apollos, some say I'm of Christ. Are we not all one under Christ? Are we not all one under Christ? We, we are not of earthly titleships. We are not followers of that which is of flesh. We are followers of that which is of God. Of the doctrine of God, of the theology of God, of the word of God. If it's not in the Bible, God didn't say it. That's where it is. Let God be true and every man a liar. He must increase, I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set his seal that God is true. 
For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Look at that verse again, verse 34. For, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. That's all that matters. Come saying, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Is the only authority that there is. Thus saith the, lo the Lord is the only authority of God's church. People say, well, I think, I feel, I like, well, I believe. Ignore that. Ignore that. If, it, if you can't give me chapter verse, I don't care. I, I don't really care about it. Give me chapter verse. Show me in the word of God. If you can back it up by scripture without contradicting any single other point, then it can be accepted. But if, it if any doctrine, teaching, opinion, ideology, feeling, experience, vision, dream, whatever, if it contradicts even a remote part of the word of God, then it's wrong. You got to go back to the drawing board. You speak the words of God and the word of God alone. The word of God is the final absolute authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith. For, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. They don't speak themselves. They don't speak metaphors and allegories and par parables and fancy phrases and philosophies and psychologies. No, to speak the word of God. We're not entertainers. The, the servants of God, the preachers, the teachers, the evangelists, the missionaries are not entertainers. We're not here to entertain the goats. We're here to feed the sheep. Speak the word of God, just like the prophets did, like the disciples did, like the early church did. Just plain, simple, the word of God. What does the Bible say? My people perish for a lack of knowledge. If you look at the, our, our day and age, the state of the churches and the state of Christianity, my people perish for lack of knowledge is really coming true. The sheer amount of, of, of confessing Christians who hardly even know the basics of the faith. They hardly know the basics of the faith. They hardly know how to witness and evangelize. They hardly know how to tell another person how to get saved. That's confusing. How can you not know how to witness, how to tell someone how to be saved? Are, are you saved? Are you sure you're saved if you don't know how to lead someone else to Christ? What gospel are you believing in? Well, just ask Jesus into your heart. Show me in the Bible where that is. You come to the Lord for salvation from your sins. Because we're all sinners. We've all fallen away. All have become corrupt. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. My sins are condemning me. I need salvation from my sins. God came down in the likeness of sinful flesh. Gave himself as a, our sacrifice atonement on the cross. He, sh he shed his blood and died on the cross for our sins. Was buried, rose again to show his power for life and death. And if I believe in his name and who he is according to scripture, the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace or faith or belief alone, I'm born again, saved, sealed from my sins. How many Christians don't even know that? The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. Verse 35. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. What, what is John the Baptist quoting there? John the Baptist right there is quoting Isaiah 9.6. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. That means you have all power, all authority, all rulership. 
The Father loveth the Son, hath given given all things into his hand. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, capital G. The Everlasting Father, capital F, the Prince of Peace. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, in the flesh, with all power, all authority, all rulership. And hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son, who is the Son? Bible says Jesus is God. Jesus is God. 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifested in the flesh. 1 Timothy 4.10, the living God, which is the Savior of all men. 1 John 5.20, Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life. Acts 20.28, God purchased the church with his own blood. Colossians 2.9, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14, the word which is God became flesh and dwelt among us. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If you have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, the Lord God, Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, when you get to heaven, you will hear the words, name not found written. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Look at a tombstone. You see a birth date and a death date and the dash in between. Everyone's dash is the same. Death, no one plans for that. You have no idea when your time is coming. Life is short. Life is, you have no idea. You get hit by a car, take a stroke, heart attack, choke on a chicken bone, fall downstairs, who knows what. Life's very uncertain. If you were to die today, are you 100% convinced you'd stand in the presence of God justified by Christ? You would hear the words, name found written. Do you know that you are born again saved? Do you know for sure if there is even a shadow of a doubt in your mind? Get that settled right now. Get that settled right now. First John 5, 13, that ye may know that you have eternal life. How can you know? Because you believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus, according to the word of God. But if you're not sure, well, I, I said a prayer that doesn't save you. The belief of the heart does. You confess the belief of your heart, not one, two, three, repeat after me this magical incantation and you'll get a golden ticket. It doesn't work that way. We'll just love Jesus. Be good. It's not in the word of God. Well, God, away my good against my bad. Sorry, that's Egyptian, Egyptian mythology of Anubis of the dark Lord of the underworld. He'll take your heart and weight on a scale against the feather of truth to see if you're good enough. That's not Bible. God's not weighing good against bad. Well, I got baptized. Water doesn't replace the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, I've kept the commandments. Oh, you've never told a lie. You've never stolen anything. You've never uh, mistreated God. You never coveted. You, you kept all the Ten Commandments without breaking them once. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Come before the Lord. Tell the Lord, dear Lord Jesus, I accept you as my God and Savior. Please forgive me of my sins and save me. It's that simple. Coming before the Lord, 
in understanding and acknowledgement of your sin state, seeing that you're a sinner and you need to be saved. And he, as the spotless lamb of God, took your place because he so loved you. He took your place. Like the ram caught in the thicket by its horns was substituted for Isaac, Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, crowned with thorns, substituted for you. And he shed his blood where the wages of sin is death. And he died. And without, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And he shed his blood for you. The atonement, the, the, the atonement of the death and shedding of blood of a lamb for sin. Jesus Christ gave himself. Was buried in the third day, rose again to show his power for life and death. John 10, 18, Jesus says, I have power to lay down my life and take it up again. No man taketh it from me. And Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. All those who believe in me shall never die. Spiritual life, everlasting life. To live with the Lord. Come before the Lord. Acknowledge your sin. That you're a sinner, you need to be saved. Tell him, you accept him as your God and Savior. Tell him, you're sorry. Ask him to forgive you and save you. And he will. It's that simple. For God so loved the world. And he is the atonement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. First John 2, 2. He loves all. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The acknowledging of the truth, the only way, the only truth, the only life. Jesus, the Christ. The Christ, and we are sure of it, as Peter says. The, the Christ. What is the Christ? The Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the prophesied one, the anointed one. Isaiah 9, 6, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, born of the Virgin. Isaiah 7, 14, born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2, who so loves us, he died for our sins and his days are prolonged, he's resurrected. Isaiah 53. And Jesus says in John chapter 4, verses 25 and 26 to the Samaritan woman at the well, when she says, we know that when the Messiah comes, which is called Christ, he'll teach us all things. And Jesus says, I, the speaker to thee, am he. But if you believe not that I am, you'll die in your sins. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. John chapter 3. Alrighty, folks, there you go. John chapter 3. Uh, if you if you like this message, it, this is encouragement. If there's a help to you, please give this a like, give this a thumbs up, and make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell icon so you know when we put up new videos. And please make sure you check out all our other ones. we got tons of videos, tons of playlists, tons of content. Please make sure you avail yourself to that. And give those a watch and share this around. Please share this broadcast around. Share this around so others can hear the gospel of salvation by grace through faith, by belief alone in our Lord Jesus. So I hope this has been encouragement and help. If you have any comments, questions, issues, insights about this, please go ahead and ask away. Be glad to hear from you. All right. So we're going slowly through. Uh, the Gospel of John, just verse by verse, point by point, taking a look at what's going on, using the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study. Um, so, again, if you take a look at the three points, the what, the what of the narrative, what it is specifically saying, the narrative of the text. We want proper context, not cherry picking. We're not taking a single verse or a part of a verse. We want to see the whole context of what's going on, because... You can 
literally justify anything by cherry picking the word of God. Like Psalm 23. He leads me beside the still waters. Oh, I can make moonshine. Stills, still waters. No, no, that's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. Right. So you want proper context. What what it's saying in a fullness. We saw in John chapter 3, if you just cherry pick verse 5 out of context, like the baptismal regenerationists do, then you see they, they use that to try to justify their teaching that waters of baptism save you. But if you read verse 5 and 6 in their proper context with verse 3, about being born again, you see that baptismal regenerationism gets thrown out the window because he's not talking about that. So in proper context, the what of the narrative, what it's specifically saying. Then you back up, again, go through it slowly and look at how it's specifically being said. The specific words and the pictures and the images and the circumstances and doing the word studies. What words are used? What, what do those words mean? And it helps give a, a deeper understanding and grasp of the context, how it's specifically being said. And also the how is how can I pair what I'm reading with other aspects of the word of God? This is also important because some people take a single passage, like say James chapter two, faith that works is dead, but they don't pair that with the rest of the New Testament of what Paul is saying about salvation is by grace. So their teaching works save you, that they must believe and work. No, 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 no. Because if you read the what, then you study the how, and you pair that with what Paul's saying, you see James is not talking about works to earn your salvation or works to maintain, to keep your salvation or anything like that. So the how is rightly dividing the word of truth. And this is all for the third and final point of demonstration to go live it, speak it, think it, do it, to be able to go and show others and to be able to live it and speak it and meditate on this and memorize it properly. So I hope there's been a help. Hope there's been an encouragement. So God bless you, folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again, folks. We'll be back for some from uh, more Bible studies in the days to come. So I hope this has been encouraging and help. Please subscribe. Give these uh, a like, a thumbs up, and share these around. God bless you, folks. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.